Welcome to Abergavenny Baptist Church. Life, faith, together. The Bible reading is from John chapter 11 and then verse 45 to 53. Therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing? they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Well, we continue in our series entitled Encounters with Jesus in John's Gospel. And today we're looking at Jesus' encounter with Caiaphas, the high priest, or albeit an indirect encounter. And it's through this encounter, Jesus' encounter with Caiaphas, that we discover the reason why Jesus died. We we discover both the, the, the political reason, but more so we discover the deeper theological reason why Jesus died. Now, now, this encounter happens just after Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. And we read in verse 45, so John chapter 11, verse 45, it says, Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary... Remember, Mary is Lazarus's sister, so many people had come to comfort Mary because Lazarus had died and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. So many, that means most of the people who had come to comfort Mary, when they saw Lazarus, who had been dead for four days, raised from the dead and alive again, they all went, Wow, that's amazing. And they put their faith in Jesus. They believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. Verse 46, but, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Some, a, a minority of those who had gone, when they saw the exact same miraculous sign, how did they respond? They went and reported Jesus to the Jewish authorities. I mean, that's amazing. Jesus has just raised the guy from the dead. He's alive again. And they like, we better go and report this to the Jewish authorities. We better go and tell the subcommittee. I don't know if he's got permission. Does he have a permit to do this? And so they, 
They go and tell the Jewish authorities, not for the Jewish authorities, the Jewish religious leaders to come to faith in Jesus. No, they tattle in on, on, on Jesus. What's amazing is that even today, the words and the works of Jesus still divide people into two camps. Those who believe and those who refuse to believe. And, and, and sometimes they would even become aggressively opposed to Christianity. So most of the people see what Jesus has done and they believe. They believe he's the Messiah, the Son of God. But some believe that Jesus is a dangerous threat. And so they go and report him to the Jewish authorities. In verse 47, we read, Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin is the high court. It's the highest ruling authority for the Jews. Uh, kind of think of like the House of Parliament uh, and the high Supreme Court roll into one, and you get the Sanhedrin. Uh, and the Sanhedrin was made up of 71 men. And it was Caiaphas, the high priest, who presided over this council. Now, some of the men in this council were Pharisees, but they were a small minority. The vast majority were the chief priests. That, that, that's the ruling priests. That they were not Pharisees. They were part of a different Jewish sect called the Sadducees. And they were the very wealthy, aristocratic party. And they were intensely political. The Pharisees weren't that political. They just wanted to make sure everyone would obey their religious rules. But the Sadducees were intensely political. Their main aim was to retain the status quo so that they could retain their wealth and their comfort and their position of authority and power. And so they were quite happy to work with the Romans. You see, at this point, the Romans were ruling over them. And they were quite happy to work with the Romans because that ensured the status quo. That ensured they could retain their wealth and their comfort and their position of power and authority. And Caiaphas is their leader. He presides over this council. He's the guy with the biggest hat. Verse 47. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. So, so Jesus is performing many miraculous signs that are simply unprecedented. No one's ever heard of things like this. He is healing people. He healed a guy who had been, a, been disabled for 38 years. He healed another guy who had been blind his whole life. And now he raises a dead guy, a guy who'd been dead for four days. He raises him back to life. This is simply unprecedented. Now, you would think they would be excited about this, right? I mean, you would think they would be excited. They would be throwing a party. I mean, who isn't excited about healings? A dead guy's alive again. Let's have a party. But rather than getting excited, they get upset. 
And they become cynical and critical about healings. Why? Why would they? Well, on one hand, they are envious and jealous of Jesus' popularity, but more so, they are threatened by Jesus. The Pharisees are threatened by Jesus because Jesus doesn't obey their religious rules. He heals people, but on the Sabbath, that's work. And he hangs out with the wrong people, sinners, and he forgives them, like the woman caught in adultery. And he even claims to be equal with God. All of this goes against their religious rules and their beliefs. So rather than adjusting their rules and beliefs to fit in with the truth, they try to suppress the truth and even kill the truth in order to make it fit in with their beliefs and rules. That's the Pharisees. Caiaphas and the, the chief priests are also threatened by Jesus, but for a whole lot of different reasons. Ever since Jesus busted up their temple in John chapter 2, Remember how Jesus turned over all the tables of the money changers and drove out those selling doves and sheep? They considered Jesus a threat because this was bad for business, temple business. They were making money through the temple, through temple tax and exchange rates and so on. They were exploiting the poor in order to become rich. And Jesus challenged this injustice. He challenged their corruption and their greed, and they didn't like it. And they felt challenged by Jesus, threatened by Jesus. And also now Jesus is getting so popular with all these healings and miracles. He's getting so popular that people are starting to call him the Messiah, the King of the Jews. And that's a direct challenge on the status quo and a direct challenge on their position of power and authority. And so they are feeling threatened by Jesus. And then they're also concerned, as they say, then the Romans will come and take away our temple and our nation. They are concerned that the people make Jesus their king. They might lead a, a violent armed revolt against the Romans, and then the Romans will, will retaliate and come and destroy this little re rebellion. But it would also destroy the status quo. It would destroy their temple and their position of power and authority. And so they sound as though they are so concerned about the nation, about the people. But their only concern, concern is self-interest and greed. They're only concerned about their wealth, their, their comfort, and their position of power and authority. And so they're threatened by Jesus. Sometimes we are threatened by Jesus because we're more concerned about our comfort and our wealth. Sometimes we are more concerned about advancing our career than we are about doing the will of God. But what's really interesting, if they had just taken the time to get to know Jesus and to get to know the truth, they would soon discover that the last thing Jesus would ever do is lead an armed rebellion against Rome. Quite the opposite, in fact. But they never bothered to get to know him or get to know the truth. 
Verse 49, then one of them named Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. It's always a great way to speak to your subordinates, <laughs> get a meeting. You know nothing at all. Could be translated, you half-witted, dumb imbeciles. Josephus, a first-century Jewish historian, writes, the behavior of the Sadducees, that's the chief priests, uh, to, to one another was rather rude. And their intercourse with equals is rough as with strangers. And over here we see the rude arrogance of Caiaphas. He then goes on and he says in verse 50, You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. Caiaphas is rude, arrogant, and ruthless. His policy is to simply remove any threat to his position of power by any means necessary. For him, Jesus' death isn't an if, but a when, where, and how. Later, in John chapter 12, in verses 10 to 11, he, they, he even decides and makes plans to kill Lazarus so the story would stop spreading. I mean, poor Lazarus, he must be like, what, really? Again? I, I, I just died and rose from the dead, really? Again? But over here we discover the political reason for why Jesus died. He was a threat to Caiaphas and the ruling priests. He challenged their corruption and their greed. He challenged their thirst for power. He challenged evil, so evil raised its ugly head and murdered him. This is the political reason why Jesus died. But this what Caiaphas says here is just full of irony. When he says it's better for you that one man die for the people, it's, it's a classic example of dramatic irony. In a play, if a character says something, but they don't fully realize the, the, the full significance of what they're saying, it's, it's dramatic irony. And when he says, it's better for you that one man die for the people than for the whole nation to perish. I mean, what he simply means, it'll be better for us to murder Jesus than to allow the whole nation to, to die by when the Romans invade. It, it'll be better for, for Jesus to die in order to save the nation. That, that's all he means. And it's certainly true that Jesus needed to die in order to save the nation. I mean, after all, that was God's plan. But not in the way that Caiaphas meant it. In a far greater and more wonderful way than Caiaphas could ever imagine. And so John writes in verse 51, he says, He did not say this on his own, 
But as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. He unwittingly prophesied. Sometimes someone who doesn't even know God or love God can speak the truth. Uh, sometimes maybe you've heard someone say something and you're like, wow, that is awesome. You don't even know God. You don't even know what you're talking about. But wow, that was a message from God for me. And that's what's happening here. He, he, he's prophesying, but he doesn't even know he is. For Jesus would die to save the nation. But not from a physical death, but from a spiritual death and an eternal death. For Jesus, as the good shepherd, would lay down his life for his sheep. He would voluntarily die. For the sins of the world. And so verse 52 says, And not only for that nation, the Jewish nation, but also for the scattered children of God, to bring them together and to make them one. Jesus would die, not just for the Jews, but for everyone all over the world. He would die for the sins of the world so that we can all be forgiven and so that we can all be brought together into one group, be one true people of God. See, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or not. When you put your faith in Jesus, you become a child of God. For Jesus went to the cross and died in our place for our sin. So we could be forgiven and so that we could become a child of God and so that we could experience life, eternal life. And this is the deeper theological reason why Jesus died. Verse 53. And so from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Now, there, there, there are two, two things we see in this passage. Firstly, we see the providence of God. And secondly, we see the love of God. The providence of God. Whose plan was it for Jesus to die? Who is responsible for Jesus' death? Is it Caiaphas and the, the, the chief priests? Or is it God? And the answer is both. So God has created us with free will. That means we can make real choices with real consequences. And so Caiaphas is a free moral agent, and he makes a plan to kill Jesus. He decides to murder Jesus, and so he is morally responsible for this evil, for Jesus' death. However, God is still at work behind the scenes. And God works through Caiaphas, and even through his evil decisions to ultimately work out his plans of redemption and salvation. Does this mean that God's the author of evil? No. 
Caiaphas decided as a free moral agent to commit this evil. He is morally responsible for this evil. God is simply working through Caiaphas and even his evil to bring out a greater good, to bring out and work out his plans of salvation. You see, they meant it for evil. God meant it for good. And that's the providence of God. And this is very encouraging for us even today. I mean, it must have seemed very dark in that moment. The, all the Jewish religious leaders are against Jesus. They plot him to take his life. They're devising a plan to murder Jesus. It all looked very dark. But God was able to take what was meant for evil and use it for good, the saving of many lives. And today, things look pretty dark. People are turning their backs on God. They're making bad decisions. They're making evil decisions. The world's in a mess. And things look really dark. But we know that God is still at work. And he's taking all that is meant for evil and he's working it out ultimately for, for his plans of salvation. He's taking what was meant for evil and he's using it for good to, to ultimately, ultimately bring about good for those who love God and called according to His purposes. And so this is very encouraging. And then secondly, the love of God. Jesus, as the good shepherd, voluntarily lays down His life for His sheep. He, he voluntarily dies for the sin of the world. And all of this is happening at Passover time. Passover is when the Jews remember how God rescued them from slavery in Egypt, but now God is enacting a far greater Passover. He's not just saving us from slavery, but He's saving us from sin and evil and death itself. That's why John the Baptist in, in John chapter 1 and verse 29 looks at Jesus, points to Jesus and says, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is our Passover Lamb who voluntarily lays down His life for the sins of the world. And He does this simply because He loves us. There's nothing we could do to earn this. Jesus goes to the cross and dies in our place for our sins so we can be forgiven, so that we can experience life, eternal life. We don't deserve this. There's nothing we could do to earn this. He simply does this because He loves me and He loves you. Do you remember back in... 2018, there was that young football team and their coach who were stuck in that cave in, in, in Thailand. And we were all watching and praying. We were all wanting them to, to be able to get out and go home and be safe. But, but they got themselves into a situation that they weren't able to rescue themselves. They got themselves into a situation that they weren't able to get out of. And so what did they need? They needed a savior. They needed a rescuer. They needed a deliverer. 
They needed someone to, to look at this very complex situation that they had got themselves into, and they needed that person to devise a plan to enter into that very dangerous situation to, to risk their own life so that they could be saved from death. We call people like that heroes. If it's a police officer who puts their their life in danger, in harm's way to protect an innocent person. If it's a firefighter who, who runs into the fire to rescue someone, we call them a hero. The Bible uses the language of Savior. The one who, who risks their own life so that we can live. And his name is Jesus. How do we know that God loves us? Because Jesus came. Jesus risked his own life to, to enter into the crisis that we caused, to enter into the mess that we had made and we couldn't get ourselves out. And he dies for us so that we can simply live. He puts himself in harm's way that we, so that we can have a relationship with God that will never end. You see, Jesus lived the, the life you should have lived. And he died the death you should have died to give you the gift that you cannot earn. And he did this simply because he loves you. And that's why the Bible says in John chapter 3 and verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we stand in awe and wonder of your great love. That you loved us so much that you were prepared to lay down your life. That you are the good shepherd who is so good to us. And your goodness never runs out because you were prepared to die for us. Simply because you love us. We thank you that your love for us isn't dependent on how good we are or how sorted we are or how spiritual we are. It's simply dependent on how good you are. That you love us because you love us because you love us. And Father, we thank you that you are still at work, even through all the bad decisions, the evil decisions, all the mess that we make, you are still at work, ultimately working out your plans of salvation to renew the whole creation and to put all the wrongs right. And so we bow down and we worship you. We offer you our whole lives as a living sacrifice. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit our website, abgavenibaptist.co.uk.